Blood and Black Rum Podcast presents Scream 4. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we are back with the final episode in our Scream series, or should I say Stab series. In that case, we'd have to do seven episodes, at least seven. Um, but we're back with the, the last episode in our Scream Marathon. Um, we've watched the three Scream films prior to this, so if you listen to those episodes, thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping up with us um, as we go through the entire series. Today we're on Scream 4, which one of those movies that uh, came out and it had a very um, mixed reception. There were a lot of people that liked the film. They liked you know, what Wes Craven was doing with it. it was one of, That's Wes Craven's last film. And uh, then there were some people that really didn't appreciate the the change ups and and the and the differences between you know Scream one through three as a trilogy and then the new one a fourth film in the series trying to do do something different and trying to capture some of the ideas from the meta commentary of remakes. Uh, I've only and seen we, and they yeah. took a good ten year period from two thousand one to. 2011. So, yeah. We got, to, you know, those 10 years, if it wasn't, you know, a fine Eli Roth production or, or a soft film, it was remakes. Yeah. Texas, we've done a lot of them. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah, pretty much Nightmare. Right, right after that Scream 3, I mean, it really became a smattering of remakes. You just got one after the other. And we moved away from some of the. Uh, metacritical commentary of the Scream series into just really rebooting things and trying to figure out what worked and what diff- what didn't and why it worked for slasher films in the 80s. And we found out that in the 2000s, we didn't really understand at that time why the slasher films worked so well in the 80s. Hey, uh, you know what we need? A remake of Fright Night. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, they did it. Hey, you know what we need? <laughs> We need a remake of My Bloody Valentine. Oh, we did that too. And a lot of those... And the way we de-Canadian it. Yeah, and a lot of those films, we, we when we did the uh, films for our podcast, we talked about how they sort of missed the point of what was going on with the original films and, and why those are so um, canonized rather than, you know, what the remake did was really just boil everything down into its one component part and then try to make it as bloody as possible. And then have like a slight swerve at the end, yeah. you know, so you got to have that in my bloody Valentine instead of, you know, it being the original killer, they moved into a different character, you know, who's got like amnesia this time. Yeah. Um, with Scream 4, you can see like right away in the film that they are sort of riffing on that fact that, you know, you had a period of time for horror films where everything was really just remakes. And yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. What I want to say one of my favorite parts about that whole like opening when they're talking about remakes and all that um, is when they're like, "Oh, I went to see Saw Four, and that movie's just garbage." And I was just thinking, "You want to know why it was garbage? Not because, of, as she said, torture porn, because it was the Costas Mandalore trilogy." That's true. Yeah, you had a lot to. No, we got no more original Jigsaw. Yeah, it's the, it's the Costas Mandalore show. That's that's why you know that one sort of. Went by the wayside, I think. You know, at that point, you have like the meaner streak of Costas 
Mandalor or Mandalore, however you say it, we'll, we'll continue with we our consistency. Him, I, 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 was, yeah. I think, I think, I was say because that was a joke I was referring to, like way back, <laughs> yeah. way back when yeah. we did our saw marathon. But I th- I'm pretty sure you consistently said Casas Mandalore, so yeah. I'm gonna stick we'll, with it. We'll go with consistency on that yeah, one, yeah. even though we don't know how to say it properly. <laughs> that's that's our research thing right there. Whoever was listening and said uh, we need to do our research. Bob Costas Mandalore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with Scream 4, though, you know, you really do have, right away at the beginning of the film, you have that sort of uh, film within a film, within a film commentary about uh, the the current trend in filmmaking, especially in horror filmmaking, where, you know, you have the Stab 6 intro, which actually becomes Stab 7, which then becomes the actual movie that you're watching. And, and all of that is really compounded to to be a commentary on remakes. And that goes further into the film as Wes Craven um, dives into meta commentary a little bit more in Scream 4. You start to see the characters even flesh out the fact that, you know, most of the time in the 2000s, it was remake after remake after remake. And so Scream 4 is sort of working on the trope that we're not working on, you know, the first trilogy part of the, the series anymore. We're more so working on Scream 4 almost rebooting itself uh and, and going back to the original scream much as we've done with the new halloween remake with blumhouse and uh going back to that original film and then trying to one up it a little bit and trying to change things while also having a lot of references back to that previous film this is easily the most meta film too. yeah for sure this one really goes because by 2011 meta is a thing oh yeah you know? yeah but... You got like Channel Awesome and all of them like chug, chugging along, chugging along with all their like we're making super meta review films, you know. By that t- yeah, and so, by that time you had like the Tim and Eric Awesome show coming out, and Tim and Eric doing all those things with you know meta commentary about here's like our uh, all the c- c- cable broadcast network that had, say, all know, like all the stuff like Adult Swim at the time because yeah. you know even like things that people probably don't think about like uh, Aqua Teen Hung- Hunger Force, like Tom goes to the mayor and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know. Which is you know a Tim and Eric thing, but it's like it's all got it, like, it all proliferated, yeah. And uh, so you, you really did have that at that point, you know. They in in Scream Four they kind of make a reference to that too, where uh, Dewey and um, Gail are talking on the phone, and and they're uh, talk, She's talking about the meta aspect of um, this new killer that's that's going around uh, Woodsboro, and they both mention like what what a. Well, she said it's to- the, the killer's totally meta, dude. And he's like, meta? And he's like, she's like, I don't know, Dewey. I just heard them say it. Yeah. You know, and that's like perfect because, you know, it, they're the old man yell- yelling at the cloud and that. Like, being like, because, you know, we see that through too. Like, Gail's constantly like trying to reclaim her glory days, you know, and being like brushed aside. Like, no, you're a has-been now, you know. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah, you definitely, I mean, this is definitely where, where Wes Craven took Scream to that probably the apex of meta commentary um, more so than what we think of when you, when people were thinking about scream, when, when they were going back to like the scream trilogy, people were saying, Oh yeah, it was very meta aspect to it. And it had a lot of that um, commentary about horror films. And as we've seen, and we talked about throughout most of our episodes, it really didn't have that much. I mean, it did a little bit. You had Randy as a character who would set, set out the rules, but more than that, there was not that much commentary. In Scream 4, that's pretty much prevalent throughout the entire movie. Well, not only that, I think also, too, before we get into a deep dive on the film, I think Scream, one of the best things about Scream 4 is the fact that now we're fully in the internet age. So this yeah. idea that even in 2011, where it's still a little bit, I mean, 
shaky on the tech because you know may not seem it but i mean like for internet and computer it's not like shaky but like with phones and like gopro type stuff it's not it's not there yet Mm -hmm. but the whole idea that they're going to be filming it and and uploading it to the internet you know so everyone can see it and so it's going to be forever out there for everyone to see right it's it's that's a great idea and it's an extension as we have kevin williamson back writing didn't write scream three um we have him back writing for scream four it's an extension of halloween resurrection um which he did do a little bit more of that internet aspect of you know broadcasting the entirety of the michael myers killings and and being in the 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 myers house but not only the point that that movie being dog shit in 2002, true, true. In 2002 there like the text not as yeah. believable even at that time like watching it you'd be like fuck you know how are they doing that yeah yeah no it, it, that's true that at that point it was more in its you know early Broad, dinosaur broadband's like just becoming a thing and, yeah you know i think like 2001 is like when i got broadband in our house you know the old roadrunner service i think it is interesting though that you see you know as, as you work through these films and we've done both all of the screams now and Halloween resurrection. And you kind of work through all of Kevin Williamson's films to see that transition in years. As we work through, you know, the nineties into the two thousands into 20, uh, 2011 for scream four, you do see that transition of technology and how it's brought us to different places within horror films, especially in scream four. Now you're getting more to the, to the point where everybody's somewhat connected Everybody can access these live streams now. Um, you don't just have to be sitting at your computer, like in Halloween Resurrection. Like uh, that, the guy, in, the main character in Halloween Resurrection, is supposed to be attending a party, but he's in like the study, <laughs> watching on his desktop computer. Or like in House on Haunted Hill, you know the whole like yeah. security guy. I got my whole security system, yeah. you know, looking at the TV monitor. Now we have everybody that's connected, and it really feeds into the whole storyline of Scream Four, which is that. Everybody now has sort of their 15 minutes of fame that they can try to, you know, corrupt and, and, and build on so that they can have a pretty fantastic life as a celebrity. And that's really the whole theme behind Scream 4 and its killer. And yet that was a little even too early for itself. You know, in 2011, we didn't have Instagram influencers and huge YouTube stars. Like YouTube was just also starting to like. I mean, it was. I think at that point, owned by it's you know owned by Google, but yeah, it was you they're, know it, they were all in their infancy, really. Yeah. But it's 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 interesting that we do get a lot of those ideas that were sort of set up early on, and and Screen Four in a lot of ways is one of those films that sort of looks ahead in time. And, and realistically, so it's not like saying like, we're operating in 2034, you know, this is what's going to happen. But it is one of those films that sort of gets things right, even though it's it was early for its time. Because I compared to like, um, I would say probably like uh, Scream 2 with some of its stuff about like the whole like news like stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I just think that Scream 4 was really early on uh, what it was presenting. You know, it presents sort of an extension of Billy the incel character that we have now. You know, the guy who's like, fuck women. All the women are the same. They don't make moves for me. So obviously I've got to murder them. Uh, you've, and then you've got, uh, you know, the, the people who are... Is that the, is that the terminology for... Uh, well, I, I mean, I would, you know, from like, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, 
little rascals or something like man he hate you know he man hate women haters or whatever pretty much that's yeah what it's called now incels it, it, well those are in uh, involuntary they're in they're voluntary uh, i get no they're in and they're incelibate because they have just decided that they're not going to pursue it anymore because they feel like it's a lost cause and that women are are um the devil yeah basically no. yeah so you kind of have that misogyny. I don't re- worked I, I, into it. I don't read Reddit and stay. Away as long from as that you, stuff. yeah, as long as you don't know about it, you're good. I mean, you definitely. I don't know about the know idea. About I yeah. didn't know that was the actual. Yeah, no, I, I, no would, one, I would stay no, far away from that. I don't cult, think that's culture. I don't know if that's the. Like I said, I know about the idea and the culture behind it. Yeah. I didn't know what the actual nomenclature. You, you could was. certainly. I mean, you could say nice guys too. You know, the guy who's like you know. Because as we see, and getting into this a little bit, and spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen this, you know, borderline nine-year-old film, almost a decade old now, um, you know, you're you're the character, the one of the killers here, the Culkin kid, <laughs> as we'll call him, um, <laughs> the best name for him. Um, he is like sort of like your nice guy, sort of slash incel, who's you know he seems like a nice guy on the surface, but then he's like expecting women to just cater to him. And that's sort of the entire uh, culture that we now have is that like a lot of people are just expecting like women cater to me or else I'm feeling or, down. And... Or, or Trevor, the date rapist. You yeah. Know. I know. And you, even... bro- you, you broke up with me? Well, I'm going to make you feel safe. You're going to you're gonna want it. And eh? Yeah. And even those are extensions of the original Billy, you know, because Billy was sort of like that. As Luke Wilson so I, kindly I, points out in his uh, rendition of Billy, I don't think though. I don't think when Billy was doing that I, at that point, I don't think he cared. I think he was just uh, yeah. It was more so just to get back at. Uh, it, it was think, more part of more, the scheme. I was gonna say like, like power, like you know, yeah, like, no, yeah, like, controls. Yeah, in, in this one, it's less about power and more, and uh, literally more about the, our <laughs> killer character who feels like. He's been ostracized by specific people, and so he does anything that he can to uh, bless you. He does anything. Bless you again. Thank you. Yeah, he does anything he can to uh, sort of like fit in as, you know, part of this culture. I just love the idea, too. This is like a mega high school, and like, I can't find friends with anybody. Yeah. And my, geek, my geeky cinema culture. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second because there's a whole like thing to unpack not, about Woodsboro High. Well, but I mean, at the same time, it's not like they like easy, but you're not at Mayfield High like Ryan and I, where it's 78 kids are graduating <laughs> class, where the you know slim pickings yeah. on you know. How many friends did Ryan have in high school that were you know into noise? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Answer zero. Yeah, That's I just right. I just tolerated it. <laughs> All right, let's um let's take a break real quick from Scream Four. Talk about a couple things that we got on the show today. Um, yeah, drum roll. Uh, today we've got Moosehead Grapefruit Rattler. You s- what? I love it. You didn't say, you didn't say Moosehead. You said Moosehead. Moosehead. We got Moosehead Ra- Grapefruit Rattler. If I'll you remember. Do, well, I'll just do this one for Michael because I know he's listening. Yeah. I'll just because I know he loved it for the My Bloody Valentine episode. Here's a moose, moose, a boot, the hoose. <laughs> There's the Canadian accent coming out. <laughs> Yeah, we did Moosehead ra- Grapefruit Rattler. One thing, because it's been fucking hot out, uh, so it's a good it's good time to have Rattler. S- sweltering. Uh, but also because, uh, well, one thing too is Martin's a huge fan of um, Jenny's grapefruit, ruby red grapefruit, Kolsch. And so... And I can't wait for the lemon strawberry to be cut. Lemon strawberry cream ale, so... So we try out all different kinds of grapefruit Rattlers because, you know, they're tasty. They're they're fun to, to give, a, give a shot to and, and see what everybody else does for Grapefruit Rattler. So 
Uh, always uh, interested to find out how everybody else makes their Rattlers. Rattlers, fu- funny story, Rattlers are really not that popular in the United States. They are much more popular in Canada. They, um, because we, we technically... Call, we call, call them Shandies. Yeah, we technically don't call them Rattlers here. We call, we most of the time we call fruit juice infused beers Shandies. And even Shandies tend to have more beer than fruit juice. Whereas in Canada, apparently, and I, I'm just speaking from other people's experiences, their Rattlers are extremely fruit juicy, where the juice is actually more overwhelming than the beer. So their beers, their rather beers tend to end up like 3% alcohol content because they're much more juicy than they are beery. Um, and this is true with this one. Yeah, so Moosehead, being a Canadian brewer, um, they apparently make a bunch of Rathers, and we really don't have any Rathers here besides this grapefruit Rather, I don't think we've seen any other Moosehead Rather beers around. No, I I saw like one of the Rattlers, and I think it was the grapefruit last year. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, it's just not common to find it around here. And, but it wasn't at like a beer store; it was like at the tops up in Northville. I'm like, mm. Out of all the places to have this, I'm surprised you do. Small, yeah, small grocery store chain. Yeah. yeah so, well, chain it's is it is not yeah, small. Yeah, the tops up there is. Yeah. It used to be a Grand Union, and they yeah. got to have something up there. But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see that we did, for whatever reason, get Moosehead Rather. Moosehead's not super popular around here as a beer. It's uh, We don't get very many variations on it, whereas in Canada, there's a ton of variations of Moosehead beer. Well, it's a good beer. Yeah, it's, had, it's a I've solid had, Pilsner. I bought the uh, the regular uh, the regular Canadian Pilsner before, and yep. I thought it was pretty good. It's actually, I like it a lot more than I like Molson or Labatt, to be honest with you. If you remember our episode on My Bloody Valentine, the original, you'd know that Moosehead basically uh, funded the production on My Bloody Valentine. Uh, that and Schlitz. Yeah, the, the amount of times that it's featured in that film. So this grapefruit rather is not bad. One thing that you'll notice when you look at the can and the ingredients is that, obviously, first thing listed is beer. But the second thing listed is grape juice concentrate. And you're saying, wait a second, I purchased a grapefruit rattler. I didn't purchase a grape rattler. That just sounds bad, too. A grape rattler? Like a grape juice, like... Basically, it just sounds like wine. Or like a wine cooler. So, that is the first thing that stands out to you. Is that, why does a grapefruit rattler have more prominent grape juice concentrate than grapefruit juice concentrate? I can't answer that question. The only thing that I can say is that Moosehead's Grapefruit Rather does taste more like grape than grapefruit. Grapefruit, if you've had it in other beers, tends to have a nice sweet but bitter aspect to it that mimics the, literally eating a grapefruit. It's less, it's not as bitter as eating a grapefruit or drinking grapefruit juice, but it does have that bitterness to it. It's a nice blend. You get, you get that yeah. bitter, crisp freshness of grapefruit but it's not so overwhelming like a fresh grapefruit yeah now this grapefruit rather really does not have that over that any any overwhelming sense of grapefruit in it no it tastes like a peach ring wine cooler yeah it's 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 got a slight slight grapefruit taste to it but overwhelmingly it's more just juicy kind of grapey and it doesn't have that bitter kick to it that you would expect from a grapefruit rather. If it was more like carbonated, like sparkling, it'd be basically kind of like a Bartleby and James, like wine cooler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, I would say I'm pretty disappointed in it. It's not bad, but I would, I would never have it again. Mm. It's just because, it, it, like I said, it doesn't taste like grapefruit at all. It tastes like you're drinking like you're drinking liquid peach ring. Yeah, and, and I am very, very 
just astounded why they would have grape juice concentrate as it's, you know, the main source of the ingredients well, in this have, beer. Well, as I say, they don't have grape, I don't think they have grapefruit concentrate. Well, yeah, there is. There is. Grapefruit concentrate is actually the fourth ingredient in this I beer. I know, but how many people are like, oh, no, I know, I mean, if I'm going to have grape juice, that's, grapefruit juice, it's, it's going to be from the old concentrate. Yeah, I'm just kind of surprised. I mean, I, don't, I just don't know what the, you know, why you include grape in this beer. It's kind of strange. Now you don't want you, you you look at a grapefruit rather. You're not expecting to get the most prominent ingredient be grapes. Um, it's just a little strange, but it's not a bad beer. I don't. I find it very drinkable. It's it's it goes down easy. It's just not a great grapefruit rather. Now my friends in Canada, Michael and Shannon, they tell me that they also Moosehead also makes a peach slash mango rattler. Which, to me, doesn't sound that great. I'm not a huge fan of mango, or peach, actually. Either one of those. But they said that Both it's... Delight. Both delightful. I don't know. They said that it's sickly and not that great. So, we'll keep that in mind. I've never seen a peach mango rather here from Moosehead. But we'll keep that in mind if it ever comes to our shores. So, the other thing that we have on the show today that is not a beer. It's actually a hard liquor is one that Martin got me because my birthday's coming up. Uh, when, if you're listening to this episode when we release it on Friday, my birthday is on Saturday, and I'll be the big 3-0 at that time. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. So um, in celebration of that, he got me a rye whiskey uh, called Springbrook, and it's got a big moose on it. So we have a theme going today of, of <laughs> that was moose on the show. It was unintentional. I know. And it's not like Scream 4 has any moose in it, but, you know. <laughs> Surprise, the killer's a moose. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Springbrook Rye is uh, a pretty, really good bourbon uh, on the more expensive side for a 750 milliliter bottle. Um, but it is a very smooth rye whiskey. It's got a nice peppery taste to it. It's local for us. This is made in Queensbury. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of the better ones, especially if you're looking for a nice, smooth finish. Um some ryes tend to have a very, very spicy finish that sort that literally and emphasizes that burning nature that you, nor, you like in movies. You see everybody take a swig of whiskey, like <sighs> you know that that normally doesn't happen for most whiskey drinkers. But with rye, that can sometimes happen because of the pepperiness of rye. Um, this one doesn't have that, and that's nice because you don't always want your throat to just be burning out, <laughs> out of your mouth. Um, so that's very, uh, very smooth taste to it, and a very good. Rye whiskey. I'm just happy our, our rye whiskey selection is starting to grow around here. Yeah. Because I just remember from like eight years ago just being just Jim Beam rye. Yeah, it was, it was hard to find. And, you know, there's a lot of ryes out there uh, because it's one of the most common selections of bourbon now um, that people normally would get. It's, a lot of people are, run, are turning towards rye. Some people don't like the sweetness of bourbon because sometimes uh, the bourbon can have an overwhelming sweetness to it. Depending on how it's made. Now they had a rye that I thought about getting for you for your birthday. That was um, I can't remember who made it, but is a rye whiskey then aged in uh, rum barrels. Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds and really I good. was like, I don't know how that would be, you know, pairing the rye and rum. And then they had one that was uh, from the same maker. It was a bourbon, but they aged it in like uh, port wine barrels. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, I've seen that one, the rye with the or the bourbon with port wine. I've seen I th- I know which one you're talking about because I know one of my friends, uh, his father drinks that uh, specifically. But so it sounds both of them sound really good. I'd be interested in trying them both. I try them, but I don't think it's something I want to gamble on a bottle just because. Like, yeah, I mean, I d- I definitely take the gamble more of a gamble on the rye with the rum, but the bourbon with the like port wine eh, might not be for yeah. Not for me. Yep. So two good selections on here. Um, if you've ever had Moosehead Grapefruit Rather, you know, it's all right. But it's not the best Grapefruit Rather that we've had. And uh, Springbrook, if you, I, I highly doubt that it's around you but because it's so local. But if you can find it, there's their Springbrook Rye is, is really good. Yeah, they so, also have a bourbon. Yeah. Check it out. Bourbon's got like a nice old, like an old guy fishing, like in like fly fishing gear, like something like that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's great. All right, so let's get more into Scream 4. Um, so, Scream 4, this is probably, my knowledge of Scream 4 is fairly limited before I watched this movie. I'd only seen it one other time um, when it came out, and that was it. And this is my second time watching this film overall. Did you see it in theaters? No, I did not see it in theaters. No, no. Unfortunately, I did not. I saw it when it came out, I think, on DVD at that time. But I didn't get a chance to go see it in theaters, which I, I do wish I had. Um, I don't know why we missed that. I don't know why I missed it either. I think it would have, would have been in college. Or, uh, let's see, 2011. So, yeah, it would have been in that range Graduating. of yeah, graduation slash college. So, I don't know why we missed it, but... Didn't see it in theaters. Um, I've seen it. I saw, I think, maybe... April 2011. Like, uh, maybe two or three years after it came out. Uh Uh-huh. Because at the time, I was like, I don't know if I want to... Yeah, you were actually very um, skeptical of the film. Yeah, just because I'm like, it's been ten years. I know Wes Craven's back, and they're all... Everyone's back, but yeah, you know. Yeah. I've seen this film, like... 15 times now, probably. <laughs> One thing that's really cool about Scream 4 that I like a lot is the opening sequence that has a ton of people in it that you know. It crams. It's just, it's like Scream. And it's like what's in Scream 4, what they say. you got to outdo the original. Well, they do. With, they should have had Drew Barrymore come like, yeah, walking back. They like, do like constant bombardment of people. You know, you've got Anna Paquin in there. Yeah, you've got Kristen Bell in there. You don't really know what is going to happen in this opening sequence, and I I, th- I like that. It's it's a it trades on what the original did, which was you know have Drew Barrymore looking like she's in a starring role and then get killed off immediately. But it wasn't shot like it was a movie. Exactly. Here you can obviously tell from the first two openings that it's like a, it's a movie. Yeah. Because it's it's shot like it's intentionally like a movie you know you see like ghost face run around in the back and you know um so but i mean so i i i thought that was really cool yeah and i, I really like to how the first bit they talk about one aspect of like horror films being kind of you know falling apart in the past decade and then the next one stab seven they do talk about something different that's also like a bad thing that's been going on they don't hammer the same beat they jump from you know and then when they get to the actual you know, the real opening, it's a different point they're talking about. I also like that we have that proliferation of sequels. Like, it's picked up speed. You know, there was 
After in, Stab, in, yeah, after Scream Two, there was just you know one movie or two movies, and then Scream Three, there's three movies. Now we no no, no 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 I was gonna say no Scream Two, there was Stab Stab One was coming out. Yeah, Scream Three, they're on Stab Three. We don't know anything about uh, Stab Two. Yeah, yeah. You know, now we've picked up speed, and we're like. All right, now we're hammering it home. Well, my, question is, well, my question is, how'd that work? Stab 3 got canceled. So after the end of Scream 3, did they pick, you know, a different studio? Well, picks? you know how they, they work that. The Weinstein swoop. Sw- sw- they, yeah, like, they only cancel things until it's not as uh, controversial mm-hmm. anymore. So, like, talking about Death Wish. They pushed Death Wish out because it was a little bit controversial during the time that it was going to release, yeah, but wouldn't you they want, pushed it out. Wouldn't you want to release it when it's like controversial? That's when you're going to get all the buzz. People yeah, are going to be like, yeah. oh, what's this all about? They don't want it to look nasty, basically. So I could see with it with Stab 3, at the end of Scream 3, when that's all taken care of, they're like, all right, let's do it now. we got to reshoot literally everything because all of our all of our primary characters are dead. But um, <laughs> sending, it, sending royalty checks to the dead. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, I could see that happening, and, and like you have like an entire in memoriam sequence in the beginning of the movie before like it even starts. Like all the souls who went into making this movie, um, but yeah, except I, Roman. I do like too in in um, this film as you get into Stab Seven when it when you're you see the intro to Stab Seven, and they talk about well if Stab Six is in stab seven then how this is stab five and stab six and they kind of go through that whole process no of, the best part of that whole bit is when she's um they're t- talking about this and the girl who likes the horror films just gets annoyed with her and stabs her in the gut with the knife and she's like what are you doing she's like i'm fucking sick of you talking and that's hilarious because that's like you know that's we, how you feel you feel that as like a viewer constantly throughout horror films like the, the person that's just constantly going blah, 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 the entire film you're just like shut the fuck up i i hope she dies so that right there, that was just like great wish fulfillment there. Too. Like, boop. That's how you feel. You just yeah. stab in there. Um, but that's a good opening. I think that's a, one of the, the best openings that Scream series has had. Just a really fun intro. Highlights some of the comic nature of Scream. They also missed a glorious opportunity. Cause didn't new, uh, the Nightmare remake come out in 2009? Um... Yeah, somewhere around there, I think. Yeah. I think it was before. So when they were talking about like the torture, like remakes and stuff, Wes missed a good point. Like, you're like, hey, that nightmare that sucked. Yeah, he did actually. I mean, because I, I I think it was 2009. Because I think uh, Friday Thirteenth came out in like, 2011. So they, I think I maybe I'm. No, I think the, you're wrong. Friday Thirteenth came out in 2009. So maybe I'm mixing the two you may, up. You may be, yeah. I don't know. Pretty but, sure Friday the 13th came out in 2009. Well, he could have like poked fun at like Jason versus Freddy. Yeah, and you know what? Robert Englund has never been shy at saying the new the the new remake of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street sucks. So well, cause, like, Wes Craven well, probably like said, wouldn't they all, they, all those films just missed the point. Like, it's like we got to make it grittier. Yeah. Got to dark knight it. Um, one of the other things about Scream 4 that I do like is that it, they're able to get everybody back for this film, but there's much more of a focus on Sydney in this movie. Uh, as we talked about in Scream 3... Scream the, 3, yeah. It was the Gale and Dewey. Exactly. Show. It was Gale and Dewey all the way. And actually, Dewey in Scream 4 really has a very, very minor role in the entirety of the film, though he's sheriff. He just show, he just shows up and yells, Sick! 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> X concerned about Sid. That's all you need to do. And to be the comic, you know, comic relief. Courtney Cox, too. You know, Gail Weathers, she's not nearly as prevalent, too. They make sure two-thirds of the way through the film to knock her out of service. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because they've really brought it back to, and I think they were that was, this was somewhat intentional as well, they wanted to bring it back to, like, Scream. And have that focus be on Sydney because a lot of, again, a lot of the theme of the film is that Sydney has had so much focus as the victim and it's become sort of her claim to fame that she's a victim throughout her entire life and she's become sort of a celebrity because of it. So bringing that film back to Sydney makes sense because that's part of the theme. She's also heaping it on herself too, whether she would probably admit it or not. She wrote a fucking book. Oh yeah. If she really wanted, I mean, out of the darkness. Now, I don't think. Now, I don't. Th- I'm not blaming her. I'm not saying it's wrong. You're victim blaming. <laughs> no, I'm, just... I'm not saying it's wrong for her to do that. She can, you know, because I think her intentions to do it is pure. You know, the... she wants to warn people that this can happen. I yes, guess, right. That's her. That's her entire intention. Yes. But at the same time, you know, it's going. You have to know it's going to attract unwanted attention. Yeah. So it's. I'm not saying it's wrong for her to do that, but it's at the same time, it's like, just so you know, if you do this, things are going to happen that you're not going to like. It's a vicious cycle. Now she, she's got to write a book about not writing books to well, get, attract killer's attention. Well, I think Scream 3 handled it the best because she was living her life as a... Like, a counselor. Yeah, what happened to that? that? Like, like, that, that, like, to me, that's, like, actually, like, a perfect thing. Like, you know, if she wants to stay out of the spotlight, but spread her, you know, her message and, and, you know, advise people and take, you know, help people who are suffering through traumatic experiences, that was literally, like, the most perfect thing that they had her do in Scream 3. Yeah. Maybe, like, instead of just being, like, an on-the-phone counselor, she also takes, you know, takes it on the road, gives, like, speeches to schools and colleges, you know, like, this is my story. Yeah. So she's still getting some fame, but it's not like, I'm on a fucking book tour! Yeah, this was, like, an exact reversal of her her ideas and, and what Dewey had asked her to do from Scream 3. In Scream 3, Dewey had said, maintain a low profile, go fucking live on, you know, live in a cabin in a wood somewhere with your dog... Uh, Cherokee. Cherokee. Uh, this one, she's basically taken that and done the exact opposite. Now she's made her life a public spectacle by writing a book. Uh, While Gail, this is where it gets, we, our expectations get subverted because now that her and Dewey have been together for 10 years, she's just been faffing about in Woodsboro. Yeah. D- just being down home, plain Jane, and she can't write anymore. She just sits at her Microsoft Word and. As she said, I can't fucking write. Well, you know what, though? She has to have a tragedy to write about. Makes sense. I mean, that's all, like literally the only thing she's ever written about. So, is she not... Is she, stuff. Yeah, she's not an ambulance chaser somewhere. I mean, what <laughs> else is she going to write about? There's nothing else to write. So... Imagine her, like, she probably, like, worked, like, for the first, like, couple of, like, two years, like, at the Woodsboro Ledger. Like, I don't know if that's the name of the new... <laughs> You're but, just like, making it up. That's, like, you know, unless, like... Okay, Gail, we need you to write this story. It's on, uh, it's on how the high school baseball team is going to the semifinals. I need you to cover that. You know, very important. You know what I think probably was her first, first writing gig, writing about the space between Woodsboro and High <laughs> at the high school. Because why the fuck did this the so architect? Off- <laughs> maybe it's so <laughs> off center. Yeah. 
I have to I have to imagine that that was a production issue where they were like, you know, because they obviously they took a building that was already on on set mm-hmm. and they just made it into Woodsboro High School and they put the sign up and somebody made a mistake there just measuring out the letters and they're like, fuck it, fuck it, we're just going we're just gonna roll with it. And if you yeah, if you it's, if you notice like about ten minutes in or so when they show Woodsboro High, the Woodsboro. <laughs> And high is so far apart from each other. It's uncomfortably spaced. It, it, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's it's crazy. You would think like maybe like, maybe there's like a J that was supposed to like maybe it's like it's like like Franklin Delano Roosevelt oh, High yeah, School right, and like yeah. you know so they got like that like yeah definitely up. they had, they just had too much room for the letters that's all that's all it's noticeable. It's noticeable. I, I personally blame Principal Winkler. That's <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, Woodsboro itself has really blossomed into being the Haddonfield of the Scream series, as you it's said. And literally, like, laid out like Haddonfield now. Yeah. Like, so, you know, before we just really saw the high school and Sydney's house. Now, Which is, like, the farmhouse on to ma- end all farmhouse. On top of, like, a mountain vineyard, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Sydney's dad is actually, you know, a vintner. He's got this, you know. Well, Sydney's farm in Scream was like when you're rich enough to own a farm where you pay literally everyone else pennies to do the farm work. <laughs> like, and you're just like, get up early for farming. No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the farmhands do that. They're up at 3 a.m. every day. Even, but... And that's even more, you know, topical for today. Like, yeah. You're like, I'm, you know, like, I'm not, I don't want to farm. I'm not doing that shit. You get someone else to do that. But, yeah, we never really saw Woodsboro as a whole as a town. Yeah. Mainly just the high school and then Sydney's house. Now we're getting shots of Dewey going out to his his squad car with the nice Dewey theme playing. That's a great callback. Yeah. Scream two. Yeah, only once though. Really, only one time in the entire but film. That's all that you need. But and then you know you got Kirby bl- blasting by. I mean, he's like that Kirby. That Kirby. Oh what a what a scamp! And she's like sorry. And you know, but as you're like driving down, it's this nice suburban main street with all the nice homes that are picturesque with foliage that just ever so covers up the street, you know, perfectly so there's no sunlight getting in. It's ridiculous. Gotta make sure you stay that nice pale white in that California sun, you know, can't be. Yeah, but everybody's fucking tan as hell in this movie. Hayden Santier might as well be. Except, 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 do we. Yeah, Hayden Panettiere might may as well be fucking Goldfinger in this <laughs> because she's so golden and bronzed, spray tan. Yeah, that's a big thing. A I lot know. of people are tan. I know her. All all of Emma Roberts' friend are like spray tanned. Even even Sydney is super tan in this film, which if you remember back from like the other screams, no, she was pasty. She tan. yeah, she, she did. She still had have that, that nice, tan. Now had she's, that nice Canadian white. Yeah. No, her Emma Roberts too is like. Uh, her face, I think uh, uh, they put a sh- just shit ton of pancake makeup on her because her face looks constantly like she... Poreless. You know, yeah. just... Yeah. Just like caked on. I know. It's a, I mean, at least it's a nice change-up because with um, Nev Campbell, I'm always looking for sunspots or moles on her. Like, mm, you might want to take a, get a look at that <laughs> at the dermatologist because everybody's so fucking tan. But, uh, yeah, Woodsboro looks like a really quaint fucking town, and I would love to live there, you know, if there weren't such so looks, many brutal-ass murders in this say, place. It looks, it looks, like, so quaint and nice, but at yeah. the same time, it's like, it's 
like yeah, it's literally like they're like, okay, we're gonna re- we're recreating Hanfield here. Yeah. Just need fucking Laurie Strode walking down this you know, Jamie Lee Curtis just walking down being like Michael Yeah, they definitely and I mean they're they're going for it. They're not uh so it's not as I guess overt with its references as some of the other films. They do reference some s- specific films like oh, Suspiria. Really? Oh, really? They go have Hayden go down the fucking... Like, yeah, that's true. You know, whole line of, you know, naming off films. and. But I meant like with its like name references and stuff like that. It's not as overt. It's not like, you know... And I I just watched Night of the, Night of the Creeps the other night. So there's one character in that who's named James Carpenter Hooper... And you're like, oh wow, you know, how many names can you cram in there? But in this one, there's, it's not as bad. You know, you've got, you've got like um, Perkins, you know, Anthony Perkins from Psycho. But other than that, they're not cramming as much in here for names. Speaking of Hitchcock, though, he does make an appearance throughout this film with a bunch of posters for different movies from Hitchcock. We got Rear Window on um, Julia's uh, room wall room. Oh, that's um, Kirby's. Is it Kirby's or Julius? I thought it was Julius. Uh, I think it's Kirby's. Maybe. I don't know. I can't remember now um, if it was wh- whose it was. But I know we got Rear Window. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of other references. Uh, Ghostface actually referenced Psycho. Um, and one of my personal favorites that pops in here uh, is the question about the first slasher film. Well... That's a trick question. It is a trick question. Because he doesn't say, what's the first slasher film? He says, what's the first film to popularize, <clears throat> popularize the slasher genre? Yeah. So, no, it's not Peeping Tom. You could certainly argue that most people don't recognize Peeping Tom. I've never seen first, it before. as a slasher film, but secondly, to popularize the genre. I would say... Even, I wouldn't even call Psycho a slasher film. Certainly, I wouldn't either. Um... It's a horror. Cer- certainly not to popular again. What uh, it, within his the formula? For, yeah, yeah. What it, what he's saying is the question. How he formulates the question. I wouldn't say Psycho was the film that popularized genre. I would probably say Black Christmas would be in nineteen seventy eight. That would probably be the. Well, we don't have Wes. Unfortunately, Wes isn't here with us to. Yeah, to to kind of discuss it. Or even so, you could even you could de- technically even claim some of the early Jellos were the the first to popularize the slashers. Uh, if Peeping Tom was in 1960, you had some other Jallos that would have hit in the mid to late 60s. So you could say those as well. But, I don't know. Uh, it's splitting hairs at that point. You can't well, really attribute one well, thing to Well, to be fair, it. I can see... Um, you know, just that question being asked. And after they say... Uh, say well, when Kirby says... It's psycho. I can just see like they should have just dropped the ghost face voice and be like, actually, it's you know after sniffing their own farts, you know, like, like, like <laughs> yeah. actually it's peeping Tom back in nineteen sixty. It puts them in the view of the killer first to do the POV shots. Well, the the other really really questionable question that Ghostface asks is that first one. What's Jason's weapon? Well, Jason doesn't really <laughs> have a weapon per se. <laughs> he uses a machete sometimes. Yeah, he smashes a sleeping bag against a tree. I mean, what? That's his. That's his defining weapon. If you ask me, a fucking tree. That's yeah. oak tree that he uses to batter someone. Or fucking punching a guy's head off on the rooftops of Manhattan. You know, he or doesn't kick really in a boombox yeah. away. Yeah, I just he's a mean guy. I take offense to that. That they're saying that Jason's one weapon is a machete. It's not. That's not real. He's more. 
He thinks outside of the box. Same thing. Well, same thing with Michael Myers. He's always used the knife. True. Yeah. You know. I agree. I, I think that was all of those were trick questions. They were cheap. Kirby, I'm sorry, you couldn't win. You were you were going to lose that game no matter what. No matter how many times you've seen Suspiria. Yeah. You know what Hayden Panettiere did win though? What? The the Scarjo hand. Scarjo haircut before Scarjo had the haircut. The whole Scarjo look and act. And act, yeah. 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 She definitely had that going on before Scarjo was really a defining presence. And, uh, you know, she didn't have the hair in Heroes, but she was early on in Heroes as one of the, you know, do you remember Heroes? I remember the show. I never watched it. I never watched it either, but I remember when it took Storm the Airwaves and people like, were like, fucking Heroes! For like two seasons. <laughs> yeah. Man. And then died. Yeah. But I remember... I'm, I'm still waiting to get on that Firefly bandwagon that I've been hearing about for... I've tried. For I can't. I just, 17 years. I know. I, I know. Just, it's only 13 episodes. I know. We've tried. I just can't get into the whole sci-fi western thing. I don't know. That's You're right. Joss Whedon show and everything. And I just can't get into it. You're right. Because um, Cowboy Bebop did it better. True. <laughs> We're way off course now. Um, That's okay. <laughs> People well, like our diatribes, I think. But yeah, those, those questions were tricky, tricky. Stepped them up after the past couple of films. Yeah, for sure. I think though, if you're gonna do like a, like what's you know, oh Suspiria, you're such a such a smart girl, Kirby. Why don't you like ask like you know, in Dario Argento's film Tenebrae, what's you know, who's the actual killer behind you know? Go real in depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, she was really fucking. Yeah, those would have been tougher, tougher questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right, so for for Scream Four, obviously, the idea behind the film has sort of we we talked about this a little bit, but it's it's transgressed from the original films of being not just about Sydney as a character, revenge. Yep. But more so than that, and Scream 4 really gets into that with its final, you know, it's still, it still has two killers. It still has a lot of the aspects that make Scream scream with Ghostface, Roger Jackson as the voice of Ghostface. Um, thankfully, it gets rid of that whole aspect of you can mimic anybody's voice that happened in Scream 3. That was just a travesty. It doesn't even <laughs> make sense. Um, it does now with apps. They do mention like there's a yeah. ghost face, app. but but it gets rid of that and it just makes it one realistic that somebody could mimic one voice, which is funny too. Like there's a ghost face app, so how does anyone outside of Dewey, Gale, and Sydney know what ghost face sounds like? Yeah, they haven't. Re- no one's. Were they all just picking up like the the voice changer and like? Well, you know what? And, Dewey, and they just like archived it over. So the years what I and... could see was Dewey was a consultant on Stab Three. So if they release Stab 3 with the and he said, yeah, that sounds like the killer's voice, then everybody saw Stab and they were like, okay, that's the killer's voice. Then they could have made an app based on Stab that was Ghostface's voice. I could see that happening. That's... I gotta say, he says, when he says die in this film, it's extra juicy. Die! Yeah! I love it. Well, one thing that I notice about Roger Jackson's voice in this is that it does change the, um, change the way that he says things sometimes. Because now... If you remember, he doesn't ever really go into a whisper in the other Scream films. In this movie, he does do somewhat more of a whisper. And I guess that's more so to, I guess, I don't know, match with the characters that are doing the killing in this movie. That's an interesting thing. 
Right. Yeah, that's you know. He uh no, you're right. He in the previous ones that they never really had him whisper. They had him be calm, like hello, Sydney. This is you know yeah. Ghostface talk. And, and this one he has more of yeah. um, a range. Yeah. Uh, and and part of that makes sense too because especially when he's talking to Hayden Hayden Panettiere and. I'm not even gonna. By the way, throughout this podcast, I know, I'm it? not even gonna bother. <laughs> yeah, gonna try. Trying to say poor Hayden's last name because yeah. I'm gonna just ruin it and I'll feel bad. And, <laughs> and we're gonna get another comment about not researching things. I, look, <laughs> to say that you're gonna have to like go see like a speech therapist, like get all those <laughs> consonants yeah. and vowels together. You know. It's, but with with her character, it makes sense too because you know obviously Ghostface is whispering if it's if it's um. Um, the Culkin guy. <laughs> I just like saying that, Culkin. Um, and honestly, I don't even know his real name. So I'm going to look that up right now. Um, but if if we're talking Rory about... Rory Culkin. Yeah, Rory Culkin's character, Charlie. I, I, well, I knew he was a Culkin. Yeah. Because you, he's got you that... tell. He's got that Culkin face. Like he I looks, said, if he, he looks... He looks like... If he cuts the hair, he would be a thousand times better looking than... Well no, he, well, no, he's a—he's the movie buff, so he's yeah, got to be. That's true. You know, that's true. He's got to look like the D and D, you know, geeky, yeah, Columbine esque, <laughs> you might say. <laughs> but <laughs> instead, Ghostface isn't packing. This is a bad joke, but Ghostface isn't packing a, a, a knife this time. He's packing a fucking Uzi. <laughs> yeah. No, that's for Scream Five, the school shootings, <laughs> and meme culture. Yeah, you know. Right. Um, let's talk about one of the things that really stands out to me about Scream 4 that's different from the other films. The brutality and the meanness of this movie is certainly elevated from some of the other movies in the series, especially 2 and 3, which sort of, you know, I actually, I shouldn't even lump 2 in. 3 specifically, which is not very brutal. It doesn't have much creativity in the way of, of uh, kills. No, no, like no gore. Yeah, and and zero blood. Even you mentioned like it's very, very, very mild when showing blood. For Scream Four, this movie is extremely brutal. It's what you would consider sometimes consider mean in the way that it treats some of its characters. Or uh, uh, was it Olivia? Uh, yeah, she gets stabbed like twelve times, and like afterwards, it looks like a. Fucking like Japanese anime horror, like you <laughs> walk in, like the blood just smattered across the entire room. You're like, oh my god! Look, like they should have showed her body. That's like totally blue because no blood left. Like, <laughs> oh, fuck! Yeah, poor Anthony Anderson. He gets the worst. He gets stabbed right in the forehead. Yeah, and he's he's just stumbling around, you know, trying to fight off imaginary ninjas, uh, because he's he's his brain isn't even working at his that point. Fr- yeah, and then he blood, and he got blood. They show, you know, blood coming out of his head. He's- they haven't been experienced in this, so they're sort of new at this, too. And they're like, oops, you know. <laughs> they always, the killer always comes across as being, like, at times, looking at the killer, like, oh, shit, like that, I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. And I always, and I do like that, you know, kind of, instead of having, like, a fucking monster like uh, Michael Myers or Jason, you know, reveling, like, I did that. Yeah, I bashed her into that tree. <laughs> I mean, because especially psychologically, if you think of, and, and we know this from from killers, most serial killers don't start out in, with like a particularly brutal murder. They test the waters. Everybody tests the waters. Animals like, and stuff like that. But, yeah, let's see what we can get away with first, and let's let's try it out, see what we like. So you wouldn't expect a, a 
person who hasn't killed anyone ever before to start out with just like some really ballsy <laughs> motive to, to kill somebody. They would start small and then work their way up. And so that does make sense in a way with Scream 4 where you have certain elements that seem like Ghostface hasn't really practiced this. He, he seems surprised. Um, it makes more sense psychologically that they wouldn't be very practiced with this stuff. So I do like that, that, that like the killer here, again, doesn't seem that experienced. Although I do also like that you don't see Ghostface flitting around so much in the background because that... No, I do too because I, I, I complained about that, especially in Scream 2. Like, yeah. I'm like running in the background like, like a fucking Scooby-Doo character. Yeah, here, that, it's, you know, minimal. That, that makes it seem even more cheesy. So you want to keep that to a minimum. Don't show Ghostface running around all over the place and just have him in one certain location where he strikes. Um, that's much better in this movie. They, they no. cut out all the other stuff. Now, you didn't mention when we were talking about the kills, the best kill of the film, though. What's that? Oh, you know the kill. Why, why don't you say it? I'm questioning which one you mean. You should know. We talked about it when we were watching it. Yeah, we talked about a few, though. Uh, all right. Well, when you, Allison you, you, Brie gets yeeted off. All right, all right. There's that one. <laughs> I wanted you to say because I can't say yeet without like. Life. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if you meant that one or when Ghostface attempts to yeet Olivia out the window and then fails. I don't think he because he didn't realize she had a bunch of Oreos before, <laughs> <laughs> and then puts her back on the bed. No, but yeah, with Allison Bree, I mean, I, I'm sorry though. I forgot about the yeeting because I was still just thinking about the cleavage, <laughs> because basically for the first half of this film. It's the Allison Brie cleavage hour. <laughs> you know, they she went from community. We don't try to. We try not to sexualize Annie to being like, I'm gonna unzip my my little top and just basically roam around with my push up bra bouncing around the entire time. One thing I do like too, though, shouldn't is, that be Sydney's job dressed like that? Because she's she's Sydney's agent. Yeah. So shouldn't she be telling us, like, sit, show some, show some boobs, push them boobs up, yeah. you know? No, but I, I do like that, you know, a lot of times a horror film finds reasons to have um, the, its main character be in, like, a wet top or something like that, right? Like a wet white top. No, I, that's like, uh, actually something. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. Jessica Biel style. I, she crawls through mud, now she's got a, <laughs> a white Well, that entire film on. is just like, yeah. let's see how, like, you know, dirty we can get Jessica, yeah. you know. And this one, though, it does make sense because the whole thing takes place over one day where Allison Brie is in the same top throughout the entire film. So at the end, when she's running through the parking garage, it makes sense that her boobs are bouncing all over the place. Because she's always been in that top. Well, if I were it's her, not like I would they forced her into it. I would have taken those heels off, you know. Mm, yeah. Trying to, you know, run away, but. Certainly. Certainly. Certainly was a little bit distracted with that whole kill scene. Just <laughs> bouncing boobies. Oh. I find it funny, too, because I haven't seen that much of Community, but I've seen enough of it to, like, know, like, what her character's like. And you're right. She is like, don't sexualize them. Right, right. You know, and, and here's when Sydney fires her because she's like, we're getting out of this fucking podunk town. We're going to New York. You know, she gets to the fucking Howard Dean speech. We're going to go to New York. We're going to go to the Today Show. We're going to go on Nancy Grace. You know. I'm pretty sure I'm going to find that sound clip of her saying, fuck me, and just replay it over and over again. Is that's going to be like your... It's going to be my mantra for the night. I'm going to go to bed with that in my earbuds. <laughs>
You gotta find that. No, it was just, <laughs> it's, intro. But it's just funny because she's like, when she's uh, like, after she gets fired, she's riding down the elevator. She's like, you know, Sydney's problem is she just she just never gets laid, and she doesn't drink. It's a very valid point. I mean, she basically touched on the the overall problem that set this all this whole it's, thing in motion. She just didn't have sex with Billy. See, now here, this is where we go back to everything, everything. She can't win. If she's a whore, like her mother, she'll die because she's a whore. Yeah. If she's pure, like she was, keeping it PG, well, not pure, keeping it PG-13, because she did show her boobs, Sydney did show her boobs, Billy. <laughs> she still dies because she's just not letting the men, you know, get that, you know, all that angst out. So you know, she, Sydney can't win either way. And the other problem is that, uh, she, um, well, yeah, you're, you're right, though. She did keep it PG-13 with the boobs. Because even Titanic showed boobs. And it's PG-13. This, you're I, right. I don't think in 96, though, you'd get a PG-13 for boobs. I only think Titanic, because James Cameron had enough clout at that point to be like, yeah, it's we gotta give it, look, we gotta give it an R. There's some cursing, there's violence, and there's some boobies in there. No, it's, I uh, Wait, no, Titanic's an R. I don't think so. It's PG-13. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's PG-13. But, oh. uh, but anywho, yeah. he had enough clout to it's, be like, yeah, then we're not He just that. said, it's art, and they went with it. It's a painting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Tasteful. It is tasteful. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the other problem is that Sydney, most of it is set in motion with her mom. And so... You have I don't know that they could have been avoided because we know that Billy wasn't really motivated by that specifically. It was more so her mom. So you know what? We got to do, you know, we got to back to the future, at, get rid of her mom and everything <laughs> will be fine. Um, but we got, we still got a lot to talk about. I can't, can't believe we've already gotten so far into this, this show and we, we haven't even talked about. Some of the main features of this movie. This is a good film. It is a good movie. It is. It's a good movie, and you know what? It's surprising that a lot of people were so against Scream Four when it came out. Um, I know. I remember that a lot of people, a lot of critical reception was very, very negative on Scream Four, and I'm not really sure exactly why that was. I can't remember specifically. I remember you not liking it either the first time. That's not true. I did like it the first time I saw it. You said it wasn't that great. I saw it was fine. I said it was was fine. I liked it. I remember you specifically saying, I don't remember that. I thought it was pretty good, actually. I don't remember. Especially when I'm watching it now. I think it's pretty good. No, because I I don't remember getting a glowing review for you. Hmm. From you. I don't remember. I remember that specifically. I think you're just painting nostalgia. Maybe. Maybe. One thing that I do think um, is interesting about Scream 4 is uh, when we, we talk about the the final killer with Emma Roberts. And Matt Colkin guy. Yeah, Rory Colkin. <laughs> uh, but with Emma Roberts specifically, as I said, I don't perfect. think... Perfect. Yeah, I mean, she's perfect in this movie. I don't think she could get away with it again. It was like the perfect time for Emma Roberts to play this character. Because now she's just, she's like 19 now in this, that film. Yeah. So she's, you know, she's an adult. She's no longer doing Nickelodeon shows. Yeah, she came from basically it was unfabulous to. I think she scream. Came, I think four. Uh, Nancy, Nancy Drew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She started. I remember she started that uh, Nancy Drew movie. Never saw it, but. but but ultimately though she had not progressed to what you would consider a lot of mainstream films, 
And I don't think she could get away with it again because we know a lot about her now. First of all, domestic abuser. She w- was abusive towards her boyfriend. But also... So it all makes sense with this. Right. But, but, but I, I, at the same time, she has played since then a lot of what you would consider like mean girl style uh, roles. Well, after this film, she does like come off as like the per- like one of the perfect bitches, you know. Right. I mean, she did Scream Queens, where she plays literally a mean girl. She, American Horror Story, most of the time, she's a mean girl. And so I think now you would never get away with having Emma Roberts in this type of, of role where you wouldn't suspect her immediately. But for the time in 2011, it was perfect. But at the same time, too, she's not like Sydney, where she's a pure character. She's just your typical teenage girl. Yeah. I think, it, but she plays the role very well. Like, she comes off as fine, likable, not, and especially not super important in Scream 4 as a whole. Like, she's not a, a super important character. She's got some substance. But... I, I disagree because they show, she's, her, her and Hayden were on enough to, where the, it's like, Plot A is with Sydney and right. Gail and Dewey, and then plot B is, you know, Kirby and Emma and the film guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense um, that they have that secondary plot, but I don't. I just don't think that they. I think they did a good job of masking the fact that like they're going to be more important characters come the end of the film. Well, I think they constantly were kind of hinting at, and again, as we've said throughout the entire film series, uh, every film has been very terrible at red herring throughout the film on who's the killer. This film's no exception either, yeah. because the red herrings in here is your typical Billy with Trevor, you know, and um, Hicks, the officer, because mm-hmm. they constantly have her show up after someone's gotten killed. And they cue the, do the, whoop, you know, the, jump scare. The, probably the know. funniest moment of that is when Hicks is, like, literally shadowed in, in, with Sydney's there. And she's saying, like, oh, I didn't know you were here. Yeah. And she's literally standing in the shadows. Like, like yeah, no, she, from that, like, that bit when she's like, I, Sadie, I went to school with you. You don't remember me? I'm, I'm Judy Hicks. We had homeroom together. Like, and you were, we did, for, we did the Peter Pan and... I was one of the Lost Boys, and you played Tiger Lily. And Sydney's like, no, I don't. I don't. So, like, you know, that, like, comes across as, like, really creepy and, we- like, you know, weird, you know. But it's overtly so. Yes. Where you would be like, but I think it's that's, not I her. think that's just because, like, she Hicks overall as a character is just a fucking goofball. She's yeah, just be female, female Dewey. Yeah. I, I do think that she's just there to be there. I don't really think, like... You know, you're not supposed to really find her to be the killer, but I think you're supposed to see her as a weirdo. I, I think they're supposed to make her like a... A potential? Yeah, her, think so? I think it's her and Trevor. Those are the two. Mm. Because like I said, she's caught, they constantly have her, they do jump scares for her constantly, which she's the one always showing up after something, somebody's been killed. I do think it's funny that Charlie ends up being one of the killers because that is literally the same scenario as Scream. Well, I think that's what they're going for. Though. I mean, I know that's what they're going for, but it, it does end up being sort of... And at this point, again, like you said, in Scream 4, we've gotten this far, you can't really win. You can't really have a red herring that doesn't seem like it should be the killer. You can't really have a killer that doesn't that you you'd never suspect... 
we were at that point where you're like, well, you've done pretty much everything, so what's left? You have to kind of run back on itself and, and do something you've already done before. So I do think that it makes sense. I think Charlie, as a character, um, I think he's just like the the most generic pick for this. No, you're right. He is. I think um, Emma, you know, Emma Roberts, it's a great, great choice. I think him, though, as he's kind of like with uh, Randy... Yeah, he's just there to be, you know, the sac- one of the sacrificial and he's, he for, is for Emma Roberts, which makes sense because she's using him as, you know, to like make him think like, oh, you know, we're, you know, together, and we're gonna both be famous, and this is gonna be great, and everything's gonna be so great, and you know. And the only thing that I can think of that why they did this specifically was because Charlie is sort of like um, the opposite of Stu. Because, um... That's why I meant Robbie. Sorry, I don't know why I said Ray. Because right. Robbie is actually, like, your Stu-type character. Yeah. So they kind of reverse that a little bit. But other than that, I think that Charlie is sort of, like, the obvious pick for this. Um, he's all... Because he's really, like, soft-spoken and quiet, you know. Yeah. Not sh- he doesn't really show a lot of personality. He's just like, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's that's cool, you know. We didn't even talk about the fact that Robbie and, and um, Charlie... For all of their nerdiness, host like the biggest party in Woodsboro, the stab. I was thinking like fuck, expecting to see like Scout Taylor Compton in the background. You know, like the party in Halloween too. Yeah, yeah. Like, do they do they have like in the back like some cow punk, you know, rockabilly band and hot like you know horror makeup playing, you know, yeah. Elvis songs. Yeah, I mean, the film plays up Robbie and Charlie as being like really big dorks. You know, but they, apparently they got half, you know. Yeah, apparently half the school comes to their party. Which, also, like, yeah, we've been doing the Sabathon for three years, yeah, yeah. So you mean to tell me in the ninth grade you were savvy enough as ninth graders to find a place to have a party with fucking... I'm going to assume at first it wasn't that big of a thing. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's grown. It built. Right? Yeah. But, so you got, like... Ten people to show up to a party were savvy enough to get enough booze to keep everyone happy and food, and you watched Seven Stabs or whatever? Okay. Yeah. And you've been doing it ever since? Okay. I think... The, I'll, I'll play along with that. Not even the alcohol. It's more so like the professional projector that they've got, that, I'm, that I've got to call shenanigans on. Well, the one kid's got the fucking GoPro before it was a GoPro order filling, like... Headset, like, and he's, and it's the absolute to me that pissed me off. Cause, like, I'm streaming, I'm live blogging right now on what 3G? No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what you know, or wireless at the time? No, you're not. <laughs> no. What internet, sir? You know, you if you left within five feet of your house and they, oh, wait, hold up, stream, stream's got a buffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, all right, so but I I, I I I do like Randy just because I like I do really like kind of like um near the end like the play between him and um and Hayden just because I like 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 because I really like when Kirby's just like joking around busting his balls like I think it'd be a good time for you to make a move and him being like a be like why don't you make a move and yeah she's, she's like, like I already did I just made a move yeah. and she's like so you know. Really, you look really cute, and I'm so lonely and drunk and vulnerable. 
So it's funny because she's doing it, you know, to push them buttons. But then you do find out, she's like, you know, behind all that bluster, she did like him, but she couldn't trust him, and she gets stabbed for it. Which is just funny because I just like that, like that he's like yelling like, when he stabs her, like, "You notice me now, you stupid bitch!" You know, <laughs> you know, stupid bitch. Yeah. Told you, it's an incel character. I know, but it's just, it's just, it's just funny. Like, not that she gets stabbed, but just his reaction. You know, just like, Ooh. yeah. Let's talk about the, you know, Emma Roberts character in more detail though, Julia, because the whole theme of Scream Four is. Oh, I get it. Emma Roberts, Julia. Is it? Is that what it is though? It's not Julia Roberts, but her Jill. Aunt. I'm sorry. I'm saying Julia. I mean Jill. <laughs> there. That's why they. That's why they say uh, we don't do research here. Because I'm saying Julia. Listen, there's like 20 people. <laughs> Julia Roberts. Well, we, doesn't it doesn't help that when we do movies, we bounce back and forth between the character name and the actor. Yeah, we you know? do. We we're all over the place. It's mainly what it, it also is. doesn't help that it's Emma Roberts and Jill Roberts. It's very confusing. Hard to keep track of that shit. You know what? You know what? Anybody complaining about us doing research? We do all of this on the fly. There are no edits when you're listening. (laughs) So just think about that. That for 90 minutes, we just go right off the top of our heads. It's fucking hard sometimes. So just keep that in mind. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so for Jill, though, as a character, the Scream 4 kind of transcends some of the other films because it is working on a more technologically advanced idea. And this idea is that everybody's connected now and everybody sort of has a, the same shot at fame as anybody else. I did find funny too, looking back, they mentioned Facebook, like everyone on Facebook, well, I guess it's Twitter now. <laughs> if only you knew. I know, right? Yeah. It's pretty funny. Those assholes at Facebook still cranking along yeah. and they're like, Starting out, like, Mark Zuckerberg's like, I'll loan you money now at ridiculous interest rates. Yeah. It's great. But I, I do like that whole idea that this film really gets into the whole Instagram influencer YouTube um, idea that anybody can become a celebrity. If you have enough trauma, if you have a, a specific storyline. Or if you that, play video games. Yeah, or that, that markets to the audience. Like, you have to have a story. You have to have... Something that puts you above the rest of the people. And so, Jewel, uh, I keep saying Julie, Jill sees that in Sydney, that she has this story that people just flock to. And so, her idea is that I want that story. Well, because she, she says it was so hard growing up. Sydney this, Sydney that, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. You know, I just find it funny too, because, like, they're only cousins. Not, well, not only this, it was so difficult being your cousin. Sydney's like, since I was 16, I've been, you know, past 20 years hunted by murderers and had, yeah. like, my best friend murdered. It's my, been so difficult being Jill. I know. Jill, 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 you know. Yeah. I just want, you know, just find that funny. I mean, let's, but, let's face it. Like, Sydney's, like, what, 20 years older than Jill? She's probably, like, her third cousin. Can you imagine? No, that? no, she's her actual cousin. No, yeah, that's true. They do mention her. Mo- they yeah. do mention, which is funny because it's like a little retcon because where the fuck was? Because uh, Jill's mom is Sydney's mom's sister, so but like, where, where was Sydney's aunt throughout the other films? What is she like? Just 
faffing about in like the Midwest. That is true. They do mention that. So she is the direct cousin, but but it is funny too because you know, as cousins, I'm not super close to my cousins. Maybe other people are, but I I, I don't know that everybody would be like, oh, you're cousins with Sydney. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I'm gonna talk. Oh, to you're you. you're the cousin of the angel of death. Yeah, man. right. Yeah. Don't you like that new moniker they get for Sydney? He's like, we'll be clever. She's the angel of death. Oh, here comes Grim Reaper. Yeah, they, they turned her from being the survivor and the hero to being like, she's a curse. I like, too, that they, they constantly mention that, Sydney, you're the sole survivor. No. Randy survived. The first yeah, for a while. Dewey, Dewey has always been around. Gale. Dewey got stabbed, like, two times. Uh. He fucking lost his limp. He got hit in the head with the butt of a knife. Yeah. Um, He's the real survivor. He got a limp and then got it taken away from him. Yeah. But I must say that I do like what they do with Jill as a character. I do like that she's demented enough to to try to get her fame this way. She, I think Emma Roberts plays it perfectly. Yeah. The I, like, she's so fucking committed to it. Yeah. Just like... And like just watching her go from like play like playing the role of like being you know surviving, and then just watching her like when they reveal at the end, like this is why I'm doing it. I want fame. You think I'm gonna get a fucking job? Yeah, college? Yeah, I know. Fuck that. I know that, that feels weird. real. <laughs> no, I know that is real because I heard you hear people all the time like I'm not fucking like going to work. Yeah, I'm not doing that. That's exactly Instagram culture. Yeah, yeah. and this and this like too like you. Just like Sydney, this Sydney, that, and then like I told so many. Like that's like one of my favorite lines. And she's like, I told so many lies today. I really started to believe them, you know. And just like how she plays it up, like she's so fucking like she is so committed to like being the sole survivor and getting that fame. After she stabs Sydney's, thinks she's killed him. She shot Trevor in the balls, shot him in the head, you know. Yeah. Stabs Charlie two times, you know. And then she's like, all right, smacks her face. You're like, gotta prep, gotta prep, gotta prep. Has Trevor's dead hand rip her hair out, you know, scratch her face. She takes the knife and runs into it, into the wall to stab herself. Then throws herself into the wall into a painting to smash herself. And then just to top it all off, throws her body through a glass table to be like totally broken. And then makes sure in all of this to wipe the gun and knife so her fingerprints aren't on it. Yeah, I mean, I committed. I, I like that whole idea because, you know, she's it shows you how demented she is. I like that they didn't shy away from saying, like, all right, well, Sydney's not literally present in this scene, so we're going to cut away from it. I like that they showed that yeah. all to us as a, as the killer doing the killer things that she needs to do. Uh, I thought it was a good touch. You know, that it's great. And then when she's getting wheeled out of there, got all fucking... All the reporters in the world there. Jill, Jill, you're a soul survivor. How does it feel? How does it feel to be a hero, Jill? And she's just, and you just see that close up of her, like, wow, I'm famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I mean, I think I I like that whole idea. I think it works really well for Scream Four. I think it's probably one of the best meta commentaries on Scream that is offered, and it really does transcend time, and it still touches on the problems that we have today, especially with people who for Instagram, like literally make up things and take pictures, photoshopped 
to make it look like they went to exotic places or and things YouTubers like that. Who do like stupid yeah. shit, you know? Until I... yeah, it's exactly the same idea, and just you know, this one is much more. Turn the volume up to eleven, but it still happens, and and a lot of people fake their lives on TV or you know reality so YouTube yeah. to to figure out a way to make themselves famous, and it, it still works today, and I think it's a really ingenious idea for Scream 2 to explore. I think the next one should have them doing like that same idea, but add Patreon to it, too. <laughs> All right, guys, listen. $10 or more, I'll go out there and I'll kill the person that you want me to kill. If it's $20 or more, I'll give you a producer credit on that, and I'll send you some nice swag for totally helping me kill that person. Yeah. Give me a like, I'll carve your initials in. Hit that like button. Click subscribe. Great, it'd be great. <laughs> but no, I, I really, I, that whole ending, I, I love it, and I love too in the hospital when Dewey's sitting there talking to her, and she's just playing the whole role of being like the survivor of like, you know, everyone's dead, and I saw you know so and so die, and I, you know, Trevor did it, and Dewey's just like, it's gonna be okay, and she's just like. Yeah, I, I, I hope Gail's doing fine too. I, if I ever needed wanted to write a book, I want to write a book with her. And we got matching wounds now. And Dewey being the dumbass, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't put two and two together, which. And then just how committed she is too. Afterwards, like after like she finds out that Sydney's still alive in the ICU, like that, like it's just like, you can see in her face it go when because uh, she's like and Sydney died too, and Dewey's like no 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 she's in ICU, it's okay yeah she's not dead yet. And just watch like her watch her face go like what, what you know? yeah she's perfect casting for sure. Um, anything else that we didn't touch on specifically? No, no. I think we I think we covered most of the things that we wanted to, to get in here. So, um Ooh, I didn't come up with a scale today. Mm. On a scale. Oh, one thing we did not mention. Oh yeah, what's up? Courtney Cox's hair. Yeah, back to normal. It's normal. She's got regular hair. Although you had mentioned there is a possibility that because it's so thick and long, it could be a wig. I'm, I I don't know about that. That that's something that you know maybe David Arquette. I don't know. I think I think well I think at one point like from one of the shots it's just like she's got like a weave going on right there like yeah it's so, like you know but for the most part I'm just like oh thank God no one gave her like imagine her walking around in this film with the Scream Three wig on Ugh. just oof yikes no that's... wonder no wonder why Dewey's eating Hicks's lemon bars seriously that is a horrible. Uh... That is a horrible wig she's got in that Scream 3. Terrible. Just yeah, to... well, that's the story of Scream. Gail's hair. Yeah. She's the bull mom of the series. New hair, new film. Um, Alright, so, on a scale of 1 to 10... Allison Breeze getting yeeted. Ooh! Allison Breeze breasticles. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... I had a different one. Uh, on a scale of uh, 1 to 10, um... Shit, what was it? Oh, my God. I fucking forgot it because you said that. Now I'm thinking of Allison Bree's breasticles. Um... Damn, I had it, too. Uh, uh, guess it's oh, yeah, it, 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 it is. On a scale of 1 to 10, 
Red Bulls and Jägermeisters. Or Goldschlager, however you want to see that. Just Red Bulls. Red there's, Bulls. There's, there's so many Red Bulls throughout yeah, this movie. this film was, should have been, you know, sponsored. <laughs> sponsored when, by Red Bulls. When Alice Brie gets yeeted, just like <laughs> freeze frame it when she's getting thrown off, Red Bull gives you wings. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Perfect opportunity. I give Scream 4 at 9 Red Bulls. Ooh. That's, I love that's high rating. I love Scream 4. I almost love it as much as Scream 1. I think it's a very well thought out film. I think it's well paced. For two hours, it goes by pretty damn quick. Casting overall is, I think, spot on perfect. Is it seriously two hours long? It's like one hour and like 50 something. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, one hour and 51 minutes. I gotta say, I did not realize that. Yeah, well. It's a very brisk movie. Yeah. Um, I love this film. I think the ideas behind it, like this idea, the whole idea of it, the motivation being fame. And internet culture, like in its infancy, kind of like in using internet to be famous. I think it's great. I think even today, compared to most of the other Scream films, its theme is the most resonant, even still today. With as Ryan was saying, like social media, Instagram. Yeah, I have to agree. I think it would be about a nine for me as well. Uh, I think that everybody does a really good job of this film. Uh, very fun to watch. It's likewise, it's still brutal in its aspect, and it still does a really good job with how it uh, deals with the themes of the original Scream as well as doing new stuff for this Scream film. Um, and I, I think that everybody does a, a really great job. It's nice to see everybody back, and uh, a very fun film. Even though you know, I think a lot of people misunderstood what this film was going for. Um, so fun all around. And it was a really great time to uh, finish out the Scream franchise that we did in this uh, entirety of the four episodes that we did for this podcast. Uh, We're going to be back next week with the Child's Play remake. So definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, We're on um, any podcasting app that you can think of. So Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you uh, can find us on, uh, we're on it. So uh, follow us, subscribe to us, leave us a nice review. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. We're also on Twitter at blood and black rum. And we have a, uh, an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I uh, hope to see you na- back next week for our child's play remake episode. And uh, until then, see you soon.